Dove Men Plus Care. Only on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Well, a big thanks to the two Johnnies in Africa for the afternoon entertainment. It is Wednesday, February 14th. I'm Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up between now and 7pm, Paul Corey and Anthony Pine are in studio to chat Champions League and preview the upcoming League of Ireland season with Kerry FC manager Conor McCarty joining the conversation, the league's youngest manager at just 26 years of age. As well as that, Nadine Doherty previews this weekend's Ladies National Football League action and Damien Lawler brings us the latest Gaelic games, news stories and we'll hear from newly crowned world champion swimmer Daniel Whiffen. As always, if you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552, WhatsApp 087 187 9200 or we're on X at GameOn2FM. GameOn on 2FM. Well, there is only one place to start this evening, and that is Daniel Whiffen, who has made Irish swimming history by winning gold in the 800 metre freestyle final at the World Aquatics Championships in Doha. Less than 25 to swim now. Daniel Whiffen, he was fourth in Fukuoka, he was eighth in Budapest, he's done a lot in the last couple of years. The 22 year old Irishman, he takes the gold medals in the 800 metres. Daniel Whiffen is a world champion, and the Irish fans are delighted. Gold to Ireland. Whiffen, the 800 metre specialist, he becomes a world champion. What a moment in this man's career. Daniel Whiffen, world champion. How does it feel? Yeah, amazing. Obviously, uh, the goal coming into this meet was to win a world medal and be on the top podium for Ireland. And obviously, it's Ireland's ever first ever medal at a world championship level. And yeah, it's just really cool to say, and I'm really happy. It was very tactical race. Two guys either side, you went out really fast, but you kept ahead and kept your race plan. Yeah, that was it. It was just really trying to build the confidence in myself, make sure I can trust it and uh, really execute my own race plan and that's what I did, so very happy. Uh, going off the medal ceremony now, we're going to hear the national anthem. You obviously heard it um, at Europeans a couple of weeks ago, um, but to hear it on the world stage as world champion uh, must be something you're really excited about. Yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully I don't get too emotional on the podium, but yeah, I'm just, yeah, just ecstatic and I just can't wait to get on this podium and, and grab that medal. parents are here as well to, to see that. That must be special. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I wanted them to be here and it's even better that they can see because he missed my world record in Alta Penny. And obviously now it's great for them to come see me win the gold medal at the World Champs. Well, a massive congratulations to Daniel Whiffen and all I will say is roll on the Olympics. Uh, earlier today, Shane Ryan and Maria Godden were in the pool this morning. Uh, Ryan competing in the first of the 100 metre freestyle seeded heats. Uh, he came seventh in 49.19 seconds as he finished uh, ranked 26th overall. The 30-year-old returns to the pool on Sunday for the 4 by 100 medley uh, relay with the team aiming to secure Olympic qualification. Godden returned to the pool for the 50 metre backstroke where she was second in her heat in 29.13 seconds uh, she also finished 26th overall Godden races in the heats of the 200 metre backstroke uh, on Friday um, elsewhere to racing news and a sad racing news the death at the age of 94 has taken place of Maureen Mullins the matriarch of the Mullins racing dynasty known by many as the mother of trainers Willie Tom Tony and the grandmother of a generation of successful jockeys she was ever present at race courses across Ireland <coughs> excuse me and was a successful breeder and owner in her own right Maureen Mullins was also a winning rider herself steering Razzo Forte to glory in a female riders event at Goran Park in 1982 a race which her daughter Sandra also 
Roden. Uh, finally, in rugby, Munster have signed winger Dermot Kilgallen from Connacht. The 23-year-old will join the province in the summer. Meanwhile, hooker Owen Clark has signed a one-year deal to stay with Munster next season. Game on. Football. Well, it is time to chat association football here on Game On. Orty Sports, Anthony Pine and Paul Corrie join me. Uh, gentlemen, before we get stuck into a big League of Ireland preview, which I cannot wait for, uh, Champions League. There were two matches uh, last night, uh, two matches this evening, Lazio Bayern Munich and PSG host Real Sociedad. However, Paul Corrie, if I come to you first with FC Copenhagen 1, Manchester City 3. Manchester City are just coming into form at this time of year, as they always do. They're revving up for a double treble they certainly are I mean that was 11 wins in a row now they've had in all competitions going all the way back to the uh, Club World Cup and it was much the same what we've seen in recent weeks um, the goal they gave away was really sloppy from Edison but outside of that it was a pretty flawless performance I thought um, first 20 minutes in particular they just looked so good going forward with, with the ball and it seemed to be a large contingent of the team that started the final last year and it just clicked so well when you have De Bruyne in the final third and the likes of Bernardo Silva feeding Haaland the top end of the pitch and if you're looking at kind of big moments in that game the end of the first half Bernardo Silva to ensure they went ahead um, heading into half time and then also the goal at the end of the game which probably kills the tie not that there was too many questions even if mm. it was 2-1 but 3-1 heading back to Manchester puts him in such a comfortable position but they're, they're just they, f- they have so much quality about the park and they dominate the ball for so long that physically and mentally it's so taxing to, to even try lay a glove on them and I mean the last goal in particular the little exchange between Foden who slides De Bruyne down the line so many players would just flash that across the 60 yard box De Bruyne reverses it back the football intelligence just to do that into Foden's path and once he scores it's it's game over and it's game set and match but I said at the beginning of the season chain I thought this would be a period now for Man City in the Champions League whereby you'll see them do whether it be two and three three titles in four years I really see that happening when you look kind of across the round of 16 and the other teams are left in the competition it's very hard to pick out somebody who's going to beat them over the course of two legs Mm. and then when you get into a final situation now that they have the experience of winning the competition they've won the Premier League so consistently now can't see a team in Europe who's going to stop them Can Real Madrid be that team that might stop them Anthony Pine 1-0 winners over Orby Leipzig last night I think they're, they're one of the very few potentially you could uh, Shane um, maybe Arsenal and Bayern Munich being two of the others um, it was quite impressive in a different kind of way for Real Madrid last night because Manchester City you know Pep Guardiola is, is from the, the school the Johan Cruyff when you go to difficult venues as they were in last night um, one of the mantras is make a thousand passes shush the crowd keep the ball and that's easier said than done you, mm. you only do it in the way that they do it when you're exceptionally well drilled and you have superb tactical players um, and I thought Manchester City were were frightening to be honest because that is a decent Copenhagen side you know Mm. they are an awkward team to play against and Guardiola identified that they're very very good on the break very good on transition so to counter that they just just kept the ball for for most of the game Real Madrid you know having hammered Girona at the weekend I think we'll probably talk a little bit about Bayern Munich who slipped up against Bayern Leverkusen Mm. uh, Real Madrid show how to put an upstart in their place at the weekend they, they bet them 4-0 they swept them off the park whereas last night they kind of had to dig it out uh, against Leipzig without Bellingham who was injured um, and actually with less possession they, they had to defend for quite a lot of that game but um, that's a good sign from their point of view they, they tend to you know they'll be thereabouts yeah. again you know come the last sort of four for sure you, you'd, you'd have to think uh, unless they get City 
I don't even know if they actually can get City in the quarters, but like you, you, you feel they're on a collision course. They're, yeah. they're one of them. They're one of the, the few teams left who I think City will fear. But um, I agree with Paul. I think it's, it's very difficult to look yeah. past them. They, they look so good. Yeah, no, scary how slick they uh, do look. We could see some grit and determination for Madrid. And then you mentioned Bayern Munich there uh, slipped up against Bayer Leverkusen in, in what is pretty much a two-horse race uh, in the Bundesliga. How will that affect them this evening away to Lazio? Well, I, I think they'll go through against Lazio over two legs because Lazio, in terms of the level of football we're at here, uh, are pretty pretty ordinary. Mm. Um, you know, they they have a lot of decent players, a lot of experience still. The likes of Mobile and Felipe Anderson, Luis Alberto, but they're all the wrong side of thirty. And I think the way the game is now, like if you don't have legs and energy and serious intensity, you've got no chance at, at the very sharp end of these competitions. So I think they'll be okay, but there's no doubt that was a damaging defeat for them Shane like it wasn't just that they lost the game <laughs> it was the way they lost it like I mean it's almost an existential crisis for Bayern Munich because it just doesn't happen to them yeah. they were completely they were made to look so ordinary and also for Tuchel he, he's he been accused of, of doing what Pep Guardiola was used to be accused of in the past of overthinking the game he, he played three at the back with uh, he dropped the light the lit uh, and played Eric Dyer with Upamecano and, and Kim and that that backfired. That that was made to look like a silly decision. He was trying to nullify the way Leverkusen set up with their wing backs, and it just didn't work. They were absolutely, they were really outplayed, and uh, that means he's a man under pressure. Mm. Uh, and I think if he doesn't come through this tie, he'll be gone. But uh, I would expect them to. You know, they're still a very good side. They're still actually only five points off the top of the Bundesliga. Mm. But it was a chasing defeat for them at the weekend. Pressure on Thomas uh, Tuchel uh, PSG Real Sociedad like similarly you'd expect Bayern Munich to have too much for Lazio you'd expect PSG to have too much for Real yes, Sociedad certainly would I was looking at Sociedad's league form they've only picked up 12 points in their last 10 games in that league so that doesn't give you any sort of confidence heading into that tie I think for Paris Saint-Germain and the Champions League it was all about getting out of that difficult group that was Dortmund Newcastle and AC Milan and um, they'll probably take a bit of confidence in the draw that they've had and they're so far ahead in the league that maybe they can shift their priorities towards the Champions League and when you got so much ability going forward with the likes of Mbappe and Dembele they just need to get it right on certain nights and they can tear teams apart and you would expect they would have too much um, in that last 16 tie against the Sociedad team who were bang out of form OK, good stuff Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men 72 hour advanced deodorant. Tough on sweat, not on skin. Now, let us chat League of Ireland, gentlemen. It is edging closer to Friday. This is the time of year. You get a bit excited. There's a change up in your voice there. there is. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I like the Champions League, but it's not the League of Ireland. Uh, this Friday, see Shamrock Pro versus League Champions host uh, Dundalk live in the box. Uh, RT2 at Tallis Stadium. Cup champions St. Pat's are away uh, to newly promoted Galway United. Uh, Shelburne are on the road there in Waterford. Bowes host Sligo. And uh, Derry City welcome uh, Drada United to the Ryan McBride Brandywell Stadium. Paul, I'm very excited for the league that is uh, about to start. However, is this going to be a league that is just going to see Shamrock Rovers run away with it? Yes, we'll have a bit of competition lower in the league, but in terms of actually when we get to the nuts and bolts of it, that Rovers are just too strong across the park. Alan Cawley was very bullish about it. Are you as bullish as Alan Cawley, Paul? Bullish in the sense of that's going to happen? That's going to happen, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think just when you when you look at the strength and I was hoping you were going to say no there's like have a nice title charge here but I, I do think Derry will push them and potentially Pats as well but I think just when you look even 
you know, the marker that they laid down last Friday in the President's Cup final, not necessarily in the fact that it was a very fluid performance for 90 minutes. You just have to look at the players that weren't involved to understand the strength and depth that they have versus maybe some of the chasing pack. And last year, they got off to a really slow start and still teams ended up finishing the guts of, you know, Derry finished seven points behind them and Pat's finished 10 points behind Shamrock Rovers. So if they were willing to give teams a head start and they were still able to win as a bit of a canter, you would suggest then that the gap still exists between them and, and the rest of the teams. And I think when you're bringing the likes of Aaron McInef back into the building, Johnny Kenny's going to be there again this year Mark Boom these are players who have played in the league and know what the league is about whereas when you look across at other teams and the players and the recruitment that they've done there's probably a bit of an unknown of what the fit is going to be for those players where Shamrock Rovers you know exactly what you're going to get they have the experience of winning titles Stephen Bradley has done such a fantastic job there of keeping things fresh keeping the squad competitive and just winning titles consistently over the last number of years and everything seems to be in their favour the new stand the stadium I thought looked absolutely fantastic yeah. last week they're getting great attendances in there um, the squad seemed very settled and this just seems like it's teed up for Shamrock Rovers to go on and do well in on a domestic front again the one thing that might scupper them Shane is if they were to do well and go deep into Europe and maybe get into a qualifying campaign we saw previously what that did to getting knocked out of the FAI Cup and maybe dropping points in the league but when you're just looking at squad lists and players that are available to the different squads Shamrock Rovers are by a stretch um, a lot more yeah. competitive and comfortable than the others even the host of players are missing for their President's Cup final um, very difficult to predict 5th to 10th I would imagine Anthony and going on Paul's point about what we kind of know um, about the players that, that the squads have because a lot of players have, have brought in players brought in loan signings as well very difficult to understand how they're going to click is it a case of Derry Pat Shells are competing similar to last season for second, third, fourth, and then it's the other kind of pack as such? Would you break it up like that, or would you break it up differently? No, I, I don't know because I, I think Shelburne potentially can break into that. I mean, Shelburne only Shamrock Rovers lost fewer games than Shells last season. Shells only lost six matches. Now they drew fifteen, mm. and they've lost Moylan, who scored fifteen goals. I think the next highest scorer after that was Maddie Smith he only had four so they're going to have to find a way to find goals probably more goals from midfield maybe more goals from set pieces but they're so well drilled and the thing about Shells they have a very clear way defined way of playing I think when you're like that you can tailor everything else around it like you can train your players specifically to that way to that approach you can buy players who you think will fit that approach mm. and you'd expect them to absorb Moylan's loss because of that because Duff is such a, an astute coach and they'll be interesting to watch I think if you look at Rovers Shane last year um, you know they only had five points on the board after five matches and they got away with it you know they weren't really punished so from Pat's and Derry City's point of view like that's not going to happen This I, I really will be gobsmacked if Shamrock Rovers start like that again this season uh, also if you look at the head-to-heads between Derry and St. Pat's like, that eight games Rovers had eight games against Derry and Pat's they only lost one of them so it's not just that Pats and Derry have to be better than they were last season to win the league. They have to be, like, Shamrock Rovers are going to be better than they were last season. Mm. You'd anticipate, uh, as, as Paul said. Like, they just, they're so well equipped, they're so well stacked. They have lost, you know, Ronald Finn and, and Alan Manis are, are significant losses in terms of the experience, but they're still packed with quality and experience. And, and McInef, uh, Darrell Burns look like two good signs. So the challenge to reel them in is going to be a big one, a really big one. 
Um, I'd be a little concerned from Derry's point of view about their pitch as well. I, mm. I think that potentially could be... I mean, it was last year just in terms of injuries and you don't know how comfortable they are on that pitch, which is really big thing for mm. for the team because it's it should be a fortress like it's a nobody, tough place to go so it is, well it is <laughs> genuinely is they're like. also I mean they're redeveloping like there's a stand uh, they're, they're redeveloping yeah. the ground as well which will help them also it's just it could be so I don't think we've heard the last of that uh, it came, it cropped up quite a bit last season um, but yeah look I mean I hope that we get I think I think Pats and Derry uh, I think Derry will be better than they were last season I just still am not sure I think they have to be quite significantly better to overtake Shamrock Rovers this year because I think they're also going yeah. to be better. Um, Paul, would you agree with the second kind of point I was making there in terms of fifth attempt? It's just an absolute minefield. It is in the sense that, you know, last year when we went into the beginning of the season, a lot of people were able to, or at least predicted that UCD were going to be the ones that would finish bottom. Whereas you look at the teams now, particularly two that came up, Galway, Waterford, you would imagine they're going to be competitive with the likes of a Dundalk, a Sligo, um and whoever else is a drawhada potentially within that bottom five so it's very competitive and you would imagine that a number of those teams are going to take points from one another because when we saw Galway last year they were so good in the first division but even when they came up against Bowes in the semi-final of the cup and maybe some of their F- other FAI cup fixtures they're very pragmatic they're very well set up everything you would expect from a John Caulfield side and going there is going to be very difficult you can imagine that you know the atmosphere and the crowd will get right behind that side and they will pick up points at home Waterford probably a bit more of an unknown just on the basis of the players that they're bringing up in the squad and maybe you know some of the players that they've brought in probably hard to get a sense check on where they're at and you're probably just waiting for the first round of fixtures to really get a gauge and Sligo we saw last year I mean they down tools for, for the second half of the season I saw them once or twice on the top decent performances look really good but gave away too many goals and, and lost way too many games and Drogheda will always have that challenge of being the part-time team within the league so you would imagine those sort of four sides will likely be down the bottom half of the table whether or not they can get a good start and maybe bridge a gap to to the likes of uh, Bowes and Dundalk we will see but um, yeah you would imagine so there does seem to be a bit of divide say from Shamrock Rovers Derry Pats and Shells to then the middle of the table who I would see as being potentially like Bowes and maybe Dundalk and then you've got Drada, Sligo, Galway and Waterford If the loan signings don't click for Dundalk and I know a lot of Bose fans are concerned with their lack of signings so the Estonian uh, players that are brought in Anthony don't click as well are they going to get dragged then into the, the, the battle with the four clubs that, that Paul kind of alluded to there? Well, yeah, uh, in a word, if if it doesn't gel from them and it, and it doesn't click, because you know they have lost experience as well. They've lost Daniel Kelly, Keith Ward, um, you know players like that. And th- there is always a roll the di- at dice uh, by bringing in these type of players. We've seen it before with Estonian players coming into the league. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So it it is it is an unknown quantity for Dundalk. But look, they're they're not the only club in that position. Um, I, we, we anticipate a very congested table because when you look I think this time last season we could have said with all due respect to UCD like that was uh, you know, that was a given it, that, yeah. that, it did look like a given and also going there it's not an intimidating place to go I mean, very, particularly the Dublin clubs will bring more supporters yeah. than, than the home fans there so uh, the leveller this year will be like I think Galway United will be I, I sort of see them being similar to how Drada United have been for the last two years you know, it's it's a ground that everybody hates going out there. Mm. Like it, it'll be rocking every game. You know, they're a physical, strong side. Galway as well. Um, so, and Waterford may be similar again. Like they, they seem to have made, Waterford made some good signings as well in the off season. 
uh, Grant Horton uh, today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, recently it looks an, that's another good sign. And so if Park Almond hits form as well, you know look, they've lost Cochrane, but yeah, they brought in Almond. So again, tons of experience uh, and, and proven goal scorer over, over years. But look, it's been a long time since, since Park was in the league of Ireland in 2009. But you know, look again, he does look like potentially a good signing for them. So it means that a club like Dundalk, yes, they, they could. I mean, I'm sure at this point, you know, they won't be looking at it like that. They will have aspirations of again breaking into that top four. But it's just it's it's hard to call at this point because mm. we've got a clear distinction at the top in terms of Shamrock Rovers, maybe Derry, potentially St Pat's, and then the rest. Um, you know, it, it could be very tight for a long part of the season. I mean, we could be getting to sort of September, and it could be ninth and still have a chance of getting into Europe. Hopefully. Very, very, <laughs> Hopefully. very, very quickly on yeah. Dundalk. Dundalk's recruitment for the last three to five years has been absolutely appalling. And I think if they do get it wrong in this window and the, the, some of the signings don't work out and maybe some of those loan players go back in the summer, I think they will be in that bottom half of the table. I would not be surprised if, if they were struggling. They will not be looking up the table. I think they'll be looking down. Well, it's going to be a competitive season. That's what we're hoping for. It's going to be a cracker of League of Ireland Premier Division. It's also going to be a cracking League of Ireland First Division. And I'm delighted to say that a manager in the First Division, Conor McCarthy of Kerry FC, indeed the league's youngest manager, taking over that record from Stephen Kenny when he was with Longford Town. Conor is just 26 years of age and he joins us now. Conor, thank you so much for joining us here um, on Game On. First and foremost, uh, what is the overriding motion as we edge closer to, to kick off? Yeah, I suppose there's um there's a there's a bit of excitement of course, um you know, a bit of nervousness and, and everything in between. But yeah, look, I suppose as a whole we're we're excited to get going. How much pressure do you feel under being being the, the league's youngest manager and, and what are the, the main challenges that you're you're gonna have to overcome as such? Um I suppose as terms of pressure, um you know, I suppose in the club that we're at we're very lucky. Um, you know, I've been at the club now for five years, you know, I've kinda of come through the ranks there and um, you know, as a coach, I'm very familiar with everyone. So I suppose there's, there's always going to be um, the pressure you put on yourself. Um, we've always had that. We have that as a, as a staff and as a group. But you know, I suppose from the outside, look, we're still a very young group. We're still, um, you know, it's Kerry's second season in the league. You know, expectation-wise, you know, it won't be very high. But look, we'll, we'll obviously look to improve. We'll, we'll take the learnings that we got last year and and hopefully and look to improve and on a lot of those this year and see where that takes us. Yeah, obviously establishing. Kerry FC as, as a League of Ireland club last year and, and it was brilliant to see and it's always good to have that geographical spread across the divisions and what are the goals what what are you aiming for this year now like what what will you be setting in terms of a, a primary challenge for your players um, you know to be fair no, let's, we, haven't, we haven't spoken too much about targets so I want to ask, um, give the old cliche one if it's a game at a time but I suppose that, that's really where what it is um, I suppose internally like that we you know as a group we feel like we're in a better place than we were last year so you know, I think I think the preseason has gone well, and and um, you know, I feel if we can be as competitive as we were last year, I think we can turn a lot of those results that maybe were a goal the wrong way into into a point or possibly three points. So, um, look, we'll take it a game at a time, um, but we do feel like we're in a better place to, to compete and hopefully get some more points on the table um, and improve our league position. You mentioned you've been there five years, and obviously it was a massive step up going into the League of Ireland, and now the club is, is continuing on that pathway. Um, off the field, though, in the off season, losing Brian's Ain- Brian Ainscough in, in the manner that it played out as well, how big of a distraction was that, and, and was that disappointing for you personally? Um, I suppose it looked like that when, when Brian's decision was to, to leave him and go to the dock. Look, I suppose it was a bit of a shock more than anything, but um, you know. With no disrespect to Brian, look, Brian kind of came in, and without Brian, probably he's, he's helped a lot in getting the club to where they are. Um, but like that, like most football clubs, you know, people come and go. Unfortunately, and that's just the way it is. Um, obviously, we're thankful for Brian and the help that he 
he gave to get us to where we are. But, um, you know, in, in terms of football, sorry, we didn't really pay much attention to it. We got the news and, you know, as far as we were concerned, that it's it, nothing was going to change on the football front. So, um, you know, we didn't we didn't think too much about it. We just we just continued on with the football side of it. Um, you know, so we feel like we're the club feet are, are quite happy where they're at. Um, so you know, and and as, as a first team, we're we're happy where we're at, and nothing's really changed in that sense as, as far as we're aware. How much buy-in has there been from from the local community, and and can you sense that increasing the, the more you become a, an established entity? Yeah, no, it's been fantastic. It's been fantastic, you know, from from day one, you know, um, from when it was announced, really, I suppose, up until up until now. But you know, like that last year, at times it was very difficult, um, you know, for fans to come out of their, you know, take time out of their their days and their their weekends and whatnot to come up to to watch a team that probably, you know, weren't getting the results that that other clubs might be getting. Um, but they stuck with us, and you know, the public themselves, you know, maybe not just you know football fans, you know, fans of other sports have all been very very supportive. You know, you meet people. Here, there, and everywhere, and they've always got good things to say. I think it's like that. The club is everybody's wanted the club to be there for such a long time, and now that it's here, I think everyone's you know very, very happy and very, very supportive. You you had a hands-on role on, on, under Billy Denny last year as well, and, and now you're the main man. Was it difficult at times to keep motivation high when, when you're on the end of some, some tough results? Like I suppose last year it was difficult at times. Yeah, when, when results probably didn't go away, we probably got got a bit hurt some nights. Yeah, but look, that's part of it. You know, it's. You know, we were cutting our teeth and it, it wasn't going to be an easy ride and we, none of us were there for an easy ride. We weren't there to, you know, to go in and just get nice results here and there and play, play great football and, and climb way up the table. That's If it was that easy, you know, there'd be a lot more clubs in it. Um, so it's not the, that easy and you have to be willing to take that kind of bit of hurt. Um, you know, and hopefully from that this year, we'll probably hopefully have less of that and, and more kind of happier bus trips down from, from the likes of Donegal and, and those places. Is, is the travel difficult in, in the first division? Well, it definitely is if you're on Kerry. Uh, <laughs> it definitely, is if you're on Kerry. you know, we we could we could maybe go somewhere else in the country. We, we might be fine with easier. But yeah, it's it can be. Yeah, you know, like we, we could play. You know, when you're going to Longford, at Lone, Bray, you know, UCD, you no know, Finarps, you know, um, those those travels. You know, they're long they're long travels. You're not getting home till maybe two, three in the morning. You know, after a game. So um, it's tough, but it look like that. You know, we, we know what we signed up for. So you know, it's not really something we're too too worried about. Hopefully, like that. If their um, you know results are good when we go away there, the the trips will feel a bit feel a bit better on the way home. Tough obstacles to overcome off the pitch. What what drives you personally then? What like why why do you want to be Kerry FC manager? I'm um, looking like that. I suppose like I'm 26. I'm quite I'm quite young in that sense. I suppose, but like like every fella, or you know, regardless of what their age, you know, you grew up playing football, watching football, talking about football, and, and that's all you do. And I suppose like for me, I. I'd love to pursue and have a career in the game, you know, somehow, uh, someday a full, full-time full career in the game. Um, I started my coaching badges quite early because I thought, you know, as a route into the game, playing definitely wasn't going to be it. So um, I started like that and I suppose it's like that. I love it. It's my passion. Um, but Kerry, for to be the role with Kerry, it's, um, you know, it's it's my county, it's my home county and it's it's a great honour and privilege to, to be in the role I am as, uh, as the head coach. As a group, do you feel you're in a better place collectively than in 2023? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as a club overall from, from the structures, you know, in the off-season, we, we've had an off-season this year, you know, whereas opposed to last year where we just nearly came in at, at a pre-season date. We've had an off-season, we've had a recruitment process, you know, we've had a lot of people working in behind the scenes to get to get things, you know, in, in good shape for the season, you know, a lot more moving parts. That's, you know, there's a lot more responsibility in, for, for other people in, in other areas. But as a 
you know, as a group and a, as a structure on the first team, I felt like it was it was quite good. Um, so you know, as as a whole, as a as a first team, we feel like we're in a lot better place. Um, to to hopefully have a a better start of the season like that, and hopefully we can maintain that. Well, the start of the season is a Munster derby against Cork. Is that, is that a perfect start of the season in your eyes? Um, yeah, I suppose. I suppose I don't know. Is, is Cork City away the first night of the season a perfect start? Of the but it's a look. It's a great. It's an exciting game. It's Cork City are a huge football club. You know, um, unbelievable history, and the fact that Kerry FC, you know, a club that probably only existed, um, you know, eighteen months ago. Uh, can go can go there and technically speaking play on a level a level playing field with a club of that of that stature is is um is really exciting and it's a game we're really looking forward to and you know um as a club like that it's a, it just shows the strides the club have made in such a short period of time and it's like that a great night for the club a great occasion and you have a couple of hundred tickets sold I think as well so you have a vocal away travelling support which as well yeah that's, that's so, so I've heard that there's there's been brilliant support to and they're looking forward to going to the game. Look, I think any any Cork, any Kerry man, um, a Kerry man, woman, child, they're always looking to have a go off Cork. So um, <laughs> they're excited to go up there and, and be nice and loud, hopefully. And um, hopefully we can give them, give them a bit of performance to, to enjoy the trip as well. Absolutely. Well, listen, Connor, very best of luck uh, in Cork uh, this weekend and indeed for the season ahead. Really appreciate you uh, taking the call here in Game On. And uh, before we do take a break, Paul Corey and Anthony Pine are still with us. Uh, gents, I haven't even gotten a proper prediction off you. I'm assuming you're both going with Shamrock Rovers League champions. Am I right in saying that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a bit of a pause. No, well, no. I, I. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, we, look, we, we always. We hope for a race, you know. We hope yeah. for someone just to push them a bit more, and I think I think Derry will. Okay, um, but I, I I can't see past Rovers. Okay, we discussed about how difficult it is at the other end of the table. Who is going to get relegated, Paul? I'll go Waterford. Waterford, Anthony Pine. Uh, I'm gonna say, contradict myself now because I was talking up Galway United. Um, it's just it's so difficult, but yeah. I, I'm gonna say Galway. Galway. So you're both going with teams that are freshly uh, promoted. Um, and what is going to be the uh, surprising thing about this season, or what are you most looking forward to? I'll give you an option of those two questions to answer. Paul Curry, first to you. What is going to be the most surprising thing? Let's go for Mason Melia to buy 10 goals. 10 goals, double figures. Mason Melia. He's going yeah. to start for St. Pat's. Our producer, John Farrell, is delighted with that answer, no <laughs> doubt. Well, Rory Keating is obviously going to be the leading man yeah. you would imagine but I think Melia will get a number of games maybe playing wide and joining in but I think he's going to score goals in this league OK Anthony same question to yourself I, I'm going to pick out Franz Piro for Drogheda United uh, he, he caught the eye at loan, at loan last mm. season and um, I think he potentially could be one that breaks out for drugs this year and, and that's why I, I think they'll stay up OK I'm impartially going to go with Shelburne making a run in Europe who knows who knows <laughs> gentlemen Thank you very much uh, for your time here uh, on Game On. Uh, Sinead, for football, we are taking a short break. Then we are going to chat Gaelic games. Nadine Doherty and Damien Lawler are both standing by, so stick with us here in Game On 2FM. Game On. GAA. Now, it is time to chat uh, Gaelic Games news with RT Sports Gaelic Games journalist Damien Lawler. Um, listen, let us begin with uh, integration in uh, the GAA because you have a story on the RT News website saying that we are edging extremely close to finally having a bit of white smoke on the integration between the GAA, the Quaggy Association and indeed the LGFA, Damien. Yeah, definitely, Shane. We're edging close to something all right. Uh, to what it is, I'm not sure. But uh, we're definitely... <laughs> We're definitely edging closer 
through a roadmap. I wouldn't go any further than that at this at this juncture. But um, so effectively, over the last twelve months, Shane, uh, the SGI, the, the Steering Group for Integration, which is chaired by Mary McAleese, it includes the three association presidents and the three association either CEOs or director generals. Um, and it's it's um, there's a special chair in, in, in president, former president McAleese as well. So they've effectively spent the last 18 months uh, kind of researching surveys, uh, stakeholder consultation, and they've got a, a lot of information. They've got a, a fairly strong mandate out of that, uh, out of a respondents of 30,000 people. Nine out of 10 wanted integration and seven out of 10 felt it was a very good idea. So... Uh, around the last winter then chain they set February as a deadline for having a new roadmap and that deadline is now upon us so next Tuesday morning um, at around 10 o'clock there'll be a photo shoot and all the rest of it and then we'll get to the real meat and two veg of of the integration roadmap and really and truly it's what everybody wants to know how can this journey actually happen there's a definite will among most GEA people that the uh, unification should happen but how it happens is is another issue altogether and I think you've even seen it between the two organisations the Camogie and the LGFA with the uh, clash over dual fixtures that's just one issue um, and that's just between those two associations that they haven't been able to find harmony on that from county to county uh, facilities another one um, in terms of accessing and lack of for female participants and then the major one would be financing. You know, county boards are currently stretched paying for uh, male inter-county football and hurling teams. And when they have to contend with playing, uh, paying for the female expenses, which is only right, by the way, uh, but but it's going to it's going to put some of them over the edge. So there has to be uh, has to be a finance program put forward. There has to be a fixture program put forward. Uh, facilities has to be put forward as well. And and the, the the whole thing about fixtures really has to be carefully looked at. So it's going to be intriguing, Shane. Like I mean, what will be intriguing for me next Tuesday will be time frame. You know, what have they set in mind here? Like I mean, up to last year they were talking maybe twenty twenty six as as having unification complete. I, I would find that very ambitious, to be honest with you, based on what I'm hearing at ground level. Um, you know. Then secondly, how are they going to go about it? Now the irony is, Shane. There is an answer right in front of their very their very noses, and it's in operation at club level, and it's called the one club model, whereby hurling and football clubs all over all over Ireland are joining up with their with their sister associations and becoming one club. The, the various independent bodies are operational still, but they come under the club remit, and it, it's every step forward is one club. My own club in Tipperary, Kilroy McDonough's, signed up for it uh, only last winter, and you know. I was down home at it. It was a great night. Um, they, they used it to launch a new jersey, hopefully launch a new fundraising drive as well. So it gives the whole club new impetus. That's the way forward, in my opinion. But, you know, not everybody's been able to align to that because, you know, there's so many personal interests in terms of each sport wants what they want best. But you're going to have massive compromise and you're going to have a phased journey, I would feel myself, Shane. But it will be intriguing to see what Tuesday brings. Oh, well, I think I'm very much jumping the gun when I said there'd be, there'd be white smoke. I think this is just another step in the process, albeit quite a, a large um, leap forward. Are you expecting then, mm. given the amount of compromise that has to be achieved here, are you expecting pushback from, from certain codes on Tuesday? Uh, well, look, I mean, what you said is white smoke is, is very relevant. I mean, it's this, this will be the most important piece of communication that we've had since the whole thing started because now they're going to tell us when and how. 
And uh, am I expecting pushback? There's already pushback. Like, I mean, if, you, if you're if you talking to people on the ground, you get the feeling that maybe uh, some people want to move, others are kind of happy enough with, with their lot at the minute. GPA are very impatient. They want, they want the process to be hastened much faster than what it actually is working at. So, you know, they'll be watching very, very interested, with very interested eyes as well. Uh, another significant development just before Christmas, uh, the outgoing Connacht GEA President John Murphy and the the, the in-situ Connacht CEO, uh, CEO John Prenti, they both had reservations, not about the, the actual image or the actual task of unifying, which they agree is a good idea. It's how it's done. And uh, John Murphy has called for financial aid from the state. And he'd be right. You know, that's going to be needed. And um, I think John Prenti then was wondering about the the burden that a lot of counties currently face. And he reckoned that the, the, the expenditure of county boards will be doubled, at least if unification takes place. So th- that's your pushback. Um, and then again, other little maybe primary interest from association to association. They'll all have their own reservations, but that's, that's what I'm going to say to you now. Next Tuesday, the blueprint will have to be fairly thorough. I mean, if I was them, I wouldn't be looking too far past phase one. You know, I'd set a, a fairly modest phase one and give a uh, give every kind of a give a, a, a modest target for every county to to show their their one county vision. And uh, like we have a one club, and I'd nearly go from there. Uh, I wouldn't like to have a, a grandly ambitious plan that just floats away into the ether either, Shane. So I think practicality now is, um, is what we're looking for. Um, and I'd rather sl- see slow, steady action than maybe grand plans w- with no real action after a year or so. So I think uh, my personal feeling is we'll be waiting a few years for this. Uh, you know, hopefully it could be done within three to four um, but I think you're 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 going to have to get through an awful lot at ground level first. So this I see this operation nearly working from ground level upwards. To be honest with you, that's where you're going to uh, iron out all the kinks, and that's where you're going to get biggest buy-in is at your club and and work it up from there, up through the divisional structures, up through the county structures, up through the provincial structures, up through the central structures. And then in a few years' time, you have a, a viable model going forward. But uh, I'm not so sure. If state aid is forthcoming, will that time frame be allowed? That'll be another interesting one too. You would imagine that there will be state aid coming forward very, very quickly. And like at, at the end of the day, Shane, you know, this is about equality for female GEA players at a high level too. And, uh, you know, this this is long overdue. Um, we've had situations in counties all over Ireland up to recently whereby, no, not every county, but a lot, facilities or, you know, resources haven't been up to scratch and that's got to change soon too, you know. Well, it will be um, very interesting uh, to see if they are realistic uh, targets and not overly ambitious. We will be getting the thoughts of Nadine uh, Doherty on this uh, a little later in the show. And um, We spoke previously about developments uh, in both Armagh and Westmead recently. However, uh, Centre yeah. of Excellence looks likely to be on the cards and Limerick. <laughs> a big one too, you know. Um, Close to 100 acres, Shane. Uh, just, uh, you know, a, 90, a 95 acre site in Cricora that'll be the hub for uh, their proposed new development. Plans are already in place. Limerick GEA officials are chatting to the relevant council authorities uh, with regards to planning application for the purchase of the of a farm site. Uh, it will take a number of years to complete, but um, 
you know, this is another, if anybody thought Limerick was going to step away from the, the cauldron, I think this is a reminder that they won't. Um, Damien, let us finish uh, on a football topic. Sigerson Cup final this evening, Ulster University uh, against UCD in Kerry, half seven uh, throw in. Plenty of intercounty uh, players on show this evening. It's 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 a, it's a big game. You've got the Canavan brothers for University of Ulster, Darren Rory. You've got Niall Lachlan for them as well up against UCD with 34 titles their goalkeeper from Leash Killian Roach has kicked 10 points in 2 matches 5 from play they've Rory Bickenden Sam Callan Dermot Moriarty Derek Craig Ben O'Carroll from, from Bridges and Ross Common is in with them as well so that's going to be a cracking match in Trilly tonight Shane. I don't know what the weather would be like but I give UCD the slight edge there but uh, UUJ would not surprise me. They've got unbelievable attacking flair. And then John Divoli's UCD side are very well organised. So it's going to be a cracking match. And you look at Ben O'Carroll, what a few weeks has been for him playing in All-Ireland Club Final, playing for Ross Common, and now playing in a Sigerson Cup Final tonight. He's only 21, 22 years of age. Uh, he's a talent like I haven't seen in a long time. And I just hope the likes of Ben are, are minded because it's a, a particularly hectic stage of their career with so much going on and so much demands on their time as well, Shane. Well, it should be a cracker. That's live uh, on TG Cahar, uh, half seven throwing this evening. Damien Lawler for now. Thank you very much for taking the call. Damien Lawler, RT Sport, uh, Gaelic Games journalist there. Game on. Ladies football. Now, Nadine Doherty is uh, standing by to chat ladies football. However, before we get into the matches, uh, Nadine, uh, as I was discussing with Damien Lawler there, potentially, well, no, there will be, not potentially, there will be big news on Tuesday um, with integration and we'll know a lot more. There's a lot of concerns in terms of of the length it's going to take, the amount of compromise that it's going to uh, incur as well. Are you positive are you apprehensive? How are you feeling leading up to, to Tuesday? I have positive, Shane. Like, I've always been really positive about it. And, you know, initially when the talk came in, I was one of the people I was like, no, no, this needs to happen in the next five years. And then when you actually take a pause and, and track back a bit and see what's actually happening on the ground and go through it in detail, it is going to take such a, a considerable length of time. But the roadmap is what's needed. And mm. it's, it's fantastic that it's um, impending. Um I suppose what the steering group have done and, and they're, they've been right to do it, they've relied heavily on research and I was fortunate enough to have filled in the survey myself and it was an extensive survey. It, was, you know, it wasn't really a yes-no model. Um, you could leave comments. So they would have elicited a huge amount of information from that and that would have guided them. And of course, we're all talking about the one club model. I mm. mean, that's going to weigh heavily on what happens in the future. Um, it varies, Shane, and we were talking off air. You know, it's going to vary for each club, I feel. It's going to vary for each county in terms of how long it takes to fully get there. And I don't know if the current boards that are in place um, are going to be the ones to, to fully get it there. It could be the next board. It could, could be, be generational It change. could be generational, Shane. That's it, you know, and different people will have different outlooks on what full integration looks like, mm. you know. Um, for me, I could be happy with one model. Uh, yours could be a different outlook. So look, all that's going to vary, but a real positive, absolutely. I think any step in that direction is a positive. So really looking forward to its release and, and we'll have plenty to chat about over the next few weeks. We absolutely will. So compromise and patience, perhaps, yes, as well as going to be Which I wouldn't have a lot of myself, but you look, <laughs> the right people are in the job. So. Um, listen, the draws were made at the weekend as well for the group stages of the TG Car uh, Championship. However, 
probably a bit difficult to call yeah, this early. Yeah, they are. So um, essentially it, it's, uh, the model is, the let's say, the Ulster runner-up plays the Munster winner and so on and so forth. They're all up online on Ladies Gaelic, so if people want to have a look. Um, I suppose from an Ulster perspective, it's kind of disappointing this year in 2023. We only have two senior teams in Ulster, Donegal and Armagh, uh, so that'll go straight to an Ulster final. And I suppose over the last couple of years, it's really dwindled. There was one point, I think, we had five senior teams in Ulster, okay. which was great. So, you know, it'd be great to see us getting back to, to those days. And with Tyrone going very well in Division 2, they, they might have aspirations of an intermediate. Uh, but yeah, look, in, in a couple of months, they'll really take shape and we'll see. But they'll be competitive, as always. There's no easy game now, Shane, in, in Division 1 or Division 2 or senior football. So the championships will be the same. Absolutely, that's what you want, um, that uh, competitiveness. Uh, Tyrone are going very well in Division 2, as are Kildare. Kildare are top of Division 2, 3 from 3, in fact 17 games uh, unbeaten um, for Kildare. However, we were chatting last week, I know Ruby was on as well. Did you read the, that the message Kildare, out actually? Be, beating the Kildare, <laughs> Kildare Tyrone. Um, but there is a bit of news, the, the county executive have stepped down en masse, they're all gone. Yeah, um, we were laughing last week as you said we we had Kildare for for Sam really, yeah. and uh, uh, but yeah they they've all stepped down and I suppose media reports they've been slow enough coming forward but uh, reading I think the Independent had an article last week and basically there seems to have been some kind of fallout between the players and management and the county board um, and it seems to be over a budget for this year that's all that's been released but it's really disappointing I suppose in any situation whereby a full group of people volunteers mm. feel the need to step down uh, it's also really disappointing that you now have a management team and players without a county board a county executive to, to guide them and my understanding is that the Leinster LGFA are now looking after Kildare in a sense because without okay. a county board there is a, a threat that you can't fulfil fixtures and so on the Mayo ladies were in that situation situation at the start of the year when their full executive it wasn't um, they didn't have positions filled so yeah listen look I suppose playing devil's advocate um, of what was reported in the media Shane um, it's been ongoing since November and if it is in terms of a budget um, I would think possibly now and I'm totally surmising mm. here that maybe the Kildare board were delaying I suppose fully I suppose getting a finalised budget before the players charter was released because that's going to put demands on the county board that are unforeseen at the minute so perhaps they were delaying because of that um, also coming from a coaching background as a manager or a coach you do want to know where you stand in terms of budgets you also want to have the best for your players that's, mm. that goes without saying and you know I'd imagine Diane you know I'd know Diane and as a manager she's very deep detailed, she's a very passionate coach so you know I'd imagine that when she is working with any team that she wants everything to be perfect so that the players can just play football let's say um, but I suppose with Diane you know in the past she's she's had a few difficulties with county boards you know I suppose in 21 she left her as common post um, there was a fallout there um, when the board informed her that she'd lost the support of the players and she felt again she, she said it in the media at the time that she felt she had no other option than to stand down um, and then when she was Meath manager in 2017 um, she resigned through a letter that she, she sent to the county board and it was released to the media and you know she'd slammed them for their disrespectful treatment of players um, and then she was replaced by Eamon Murray I suppose and the rest is history mm. um, but in this instance I suppose Diane 
firmly has the support of the players. Uh, that's very obvious. The players are clearly very happy with the management team, with what's happening. They're three out of three in the league and you said a running streak of 17 games in a row, including an intermediate championship, Shane, like you can't argue with that. Yeah. So the players are happy. There's a good relationship there and, and I think that's all the management team will be concerned about is their players. But you'd really hope that something will be resolved because you never like to see these things happen. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, that kind of board, they are volunteers and, and sometimes, especially in ladies football the money just isn't there um, so we'll see what happens but hopefully it will be resolved pretty Absolutely. soon No, um, here's hoping uh, On the pitch then let us uh, fly through the fixtures uh, on Saturday half two Fitzgerald Stadium good seat in inter-county ground uh, Kerry hosting Mayo Kerry looking to maintain their 100% record uh, while Mayo They'll be feeling the nerves with only one win to date. Yeah, they're definitely definitely feeling the pinch this weekend, Shane. But in saying that, I feel they might have at the back of their head. You know, they have Cork and Waterford to come who are also in similar positions themselves. And um, they'd also face fancy their chances against Armagh, I feel. Um, they're definitely feeling the pinch. I think Mayo are fine in their feet. You can see that for sure. You know, they're, they're I suppose, trying to develop their style under McHale. And I just feel because of that, they're maybe struggling for a bit of consistency and attack. They're over-reliance there on Lisa Cass. And I think Mayo's biggest problem at the minute is they're playing in patches, Shane, so they need to put one solid performance together. I, I think they'll struggle this weekend, to be honest, in Kerry, because, listen, Kerry are just, they're, they're powering through games, Shane. And, you know, one thing that I see with them um, at the minute is they're, they're rotating that panel and they haven't done that in previous years. If you look at the All-Ireland final, like they played Chief Roche with an ACL, a torn ACL. So you could see there wasn't possibly trust in what was there, you know, in terms mm. of their forward line. But that's changed now this year. It seems to have changed and they're keeping players happy and players seem to be really, really getting a chance. You know, Louise hasn't really played. So that's a massive, massive positive for them. And I, I think they, they should they should have too much for Mayo this weekend. Okay, Dublin Galway, Parnell Park at 2pm on Sunday. Uh, the Dubs will be on a bit of an upswing considering their performance last week where Galway, three matches, three defeats, they won't be coming to Dublin with, with much confidence. No, imagine. but they, they beat Dublin last year. So... Uh, Galway always seem to have a, not an edge over Dublin but they definitely don't fear them I, th- I think the big thing with this Shane again I said it last week it's the personnel if Galway are at full strength it's a totally different scenario if they're not uh, it, it's probably going to be another loss for them you know in fairness to them defensively they've been very solid they've given themselves good platforms they've been in games until mm. the last quarter um, but their biggest problem is an attack like it's it's really Alva Davrin from play and, and Roisin Leonard from free so they, they just need more there but as I said, listen, if, if Dublin are at full strength in a sense and they have a good crew of those experienced players, they should get through. Uh, finally, Nadine, Cork Waterford and Mead Armagh, how do you see the, these matches going? Uh, Cork and Waterford literally toss of a coin neither team are going particularly well I feel the difference is you're looking at a Cork team who are not playing to their potential and not getting results. You have a Waterford team who are probably nearly playing to their potential and not getting results toss of a coin there Shane really okay. and then the last game me there ma great history there That that's going to be a real cracker because you have an ex-Arma manager at the helm and Mees uh, Mees have got the better over Arma in the last few different league finals and championship games and so on so there'll be no love lost there I think that could be the game of the weekend actually if people are streaming online Tasty on and off the pitch Nadine Doherty thank you very much big thanks to John Farrell and Laurie Davis working on this evening's show Better De Silva is up next we'll be back at 6pm tomorrow here on Game On so from all of the Game On team it is bye for now